You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. Today we are going to be recapping our look at Damon Lindelof as a movie writer. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And uh, yeah, we're just going to go through all of his movies that he's written, which is both of them. And look at some uh, upcoming movies which he has uh, on his plate, as well as his upcoming television show, and uh, see uh, where where he's been and where he's going, and what conclusions we can draw from that work. So let's get started up with his uh, 2011 debut screenplay, Cowboys and Aliens. As far as I'm concerned with Cowboys and Aliens, there's um, uh, a lot of missed potential there. You know, I know that that, uh, you were not uh, um, very optimistic about the the concept of the film, but I think uh, the way that the concept was sold to us and the people who were doing the selling uh, really uh, got me excited about about the movie and and when it it failed to live up to the standards of their previous work, I was disappointed. I I wouldn't say that I wasn't optimistic. I would I would say that I thought, yeah, that'll be a movie that lives up to its title, and by that I mean it'll be a movie that has cowboys and aliens in it. Okay, now what if there was a movie that came out that was just called Aliens? I assume that there at some point there'd be aliens. What I'm trying to get at here is... You're saying that... that do you that, not also assume that there may be something more to it than that? Why would you assume that there's more? Because it's a movie. Aliens defies the expectation of being a simple movie about aliens. It does that by doing a lot of different things amazingly well. All right? And I remember hearing like a million years ago, like in some interview somewhere, like Damon Wayans said something along the lines of like, in Hollywood, you regularly say things like, it's the little, re- it's the little rascals meets Die Hard. And, and I remember thinking, no, I would watch that movie. And, and at the same time, I thought, that is pretty much exactly how I imagine all of these things happen. Yeah. Most of these things happen exactly that way. And the idea that it ever becomes more than that is kind of impressive. But it is the exception. But, I, I mean, it doesn't mean that it can't transcend above its title, just like <laughs> Alien and Aliens did. And, you know, looking it doesn't, at the it trailers, doesn't, But it does mean that when it does, involved, it's an exception. I, I assumed that this would be one of those instances. Well, let's move on to Lindelof's second film um, and his, his last film thus far, which came in 2012, and mm-hmm. that was Prometheus. Prometheus. Prometheus, obviously being the prequel to Alien, hmm. directed by Ridley Scott. Uh, it almost isn't a prequel, since it sort of just happens beforehand, but doesn't really involve anything. Mm-hmm. Which I think was kind of the idea. Yeah, kind of a dumb idea. Actually, I like that idea quite a bit. I, I think I like the idea of doing an original thing. If you're going to be doing a story that doesn't directly deal with the the, the characters or the situations or the themes... I mean, Prometheus is so fundamentally different from Alien, it doesn't really connect in any thematic or textual way. Uh, doing an original thing actually makes a lot more sense. Um, I think that 
that there's something about expanding on uh, preconceived continuities and and you know spinning things in different directions and and you know there, there no, being some sort of that. subtext there with the fact that it does take place in the alien universe. There's nothing wrong with that, except I mean, if you've ever been in a comic book store, and I know you have, they've been doing that for decades. Sure. You know, and, and and this is and this is a a cool a cool idea. I mean, it also, I like it. It works. If you if you're, if you're going to do it, you got to do it in an exceptionally well way. I mean, you got to do it. You got to nail it. You got to do it perfect. And they and they didn't do it. I mean, that's simply all there is. I mean, one of the best things about the Alien comics is that there are so many side stories, so many parallel things, that there are multiple overlapping and sometimes mutually exclusive concepts. And when you have something like Prometheus, it's one giant monolithic mutually exclusive concept. That's a problem. My big—I didn't really have a big problem with the movie. I actually uh, liked the movie quite a bit. Um, it, it doesn't hold up as well as I had hoped. Um, uh, I listened to the Prometheus commentary with Damon Lindelof, mm-hmm. and he, on a number of occasions, refers to the aliens as xenomorphs. Mm-hmm. That's unforgivable. If you're if you're writing a science fiction movie, you should know that xenomorph does not mean those black aliens in the movie Alien. Perhaps he does know that. Perhaps he was just using short, the same shorthand that every other person who talks about alien uses, you know, and called them xenomorphs because he knew that people would you know what they know, were the, talking the about. The thing is, anyone who does that is perpetuating a significant problem. And that problem is very serious because it's a word. It's not a name. And when you pervert a a word into a name, you destroy the word. And the word is more important than the name. I'm sorry, I don't care how much Aliens is fantastic, and I think it's basically a perfect movie. It does not support the destruction of a perfectly good word. The words are more important than the movie Aliens. I would let Aliens die if it meant having the word Xenomorph purified. Really? Yes. Okay. Okay. Aside from his usage of the word xenomorph, is there any other um, uh, stuff which you, you gathered from his commentary? Most of it is um, following the leader. The, I got the distinct impression that he was going with the flow. He was doing what Ridley Scott told him to do. But the commentary was recorded before it was released. Mm-hmm. So um, I would love to hear a commentary uh, afterwards. Yeah. Where he responds to all the various criticisms. There was actually a, a story which came out recently about how, you know, uh, Prometheus 2 is in the works <laughs> and Damon Lindelof is not involved in it. And uh, apparently he had conceived it as a trilogy. It was a standalone movie, which he then said we could convert this into a trilogy, which gave it sort of an open ending, which apparently didn't really exist in in the original John Spates script. Is he on the, he's on that commentary as well, right? Mm-hmm. What does he have to say about it? Spates being the guy whose yeah, script who wrote the script that Lindelof rewrote. There's no like at a certain point, I uh, you know, Ridley Scott was like, You suck, get off this project but he does he does indicate that there was a point where he was like he he, he wasn't giving uh, Ridley Scott what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they went with a different screenwriter. And he says it in a way that makes it sound like it was no big deal. And I imagine that's because it probably happens a lot. Yeah. Um, But uh, I got to tell you, hearing both of those screenwriters, I feel that neither one of them should have been involved in a science fiction movie. 
was I know Ridley Scott did a commentary on there. Was he on there with them? The, no one was in the room. Okay, but did you hear Ridley Scott's <laughs> yes. commentary as well? Yes. So you've got these three people, Ridley Scott being, you know, sort of like the guy who is overseeing these scripts and then the two people who wrote the scripts. Yeah. Uh, and I know that you have some major problems with this movie in terms of uh, the problems that you have with it. Who do you feel, based on hearing all three of these people talk, who do you th- feel is is responsible for contributing the the elements to the script which you did not like? I, I, I would say Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. But I also feel that it is the responsibility of a, a smart person working on a science fiction movie to say, hello, director person, I know that you want to make this movie, and this idea you have is perfectly reasonable, but we have to include some sort of explanation here. Because this thing that you want to put on screen is stupid. And if you want to put this stupid thing on screen, we have to explain why this stupid thing is on screen. You know, like um, Space Cobra. Okay. I know, let's poke it with a stick. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and, of course, m- nobody's doing that. And in the commentary for by Ridley Scott, there's, there's, there's... It really feels to me like Ridley Scott spent the entire movie, like, drawing a picture of a thing and said, write me a scene that has this in it. Mm-hmm. And, and the writer was like, yeah, yeah, I got an idea. What if we cut to that shot okay and let some people walk in a frame and Ridley Scott's like that's solid gold write that down okay yeah like I said I, I did enjoy the movie quite a bit I still do I don't like I don't have as much enthusiasm as I had for it the first time I watched it but I think a lot of that might be just going into it so amped to see it you know I yep. mean like I remember seeing that trailer and just thinking like oh my god this is happening you know this is something that I've dreamt of for years and um, a non prequel alien prequel. Well, I've dreamt of an alien movie that I can take seriously, and I really haven't been able to do that since I started watching alien movies. You know, part of that comes from uh, you know the, these uh, these expectations and and, and sort of uh, anti- more than expectation anticipations. You know, which which revolve around. Um, the hype, the hype machine, in a sense, and I know that this isn't something which you fall prey to, but it is totally something which I fall prey to, and it's actually something which Damon Lindelof and company have uh, worked hard to sort of take back, you know, and that's uh, the over um, oversharing of uh, information about movies prior to their release. So, so kind of looking ahead now, Damon Lindelof and his uh, post-Prometheus career now, where he has a bit more control over things, and also just because of the people who he's associated with, he's trying to control information. You know, he's got his own mystery boxes and, and, and whatnot, just like J.J. Uh, Abrams. I don't, I don't get this. I don't get mm. this. Doesn't Quentin Tarantino let anyone see his scripts? I think, you know, the idea, I mean, the thing that they, they, they've talked about and Lindelof has talked about is it's not so much about, like, keeping big surprises like Spock dies, you know, or, you know, Darth Vader is Luke's father. You just said that Spock dies. Okay, sorry. It'll, it will happen. Spoilers. I think what he's talking about is more along the lines of what I'm talking about, which is... Um, not overexposing it, right? Preserving the experience of of watching it for the first time. Yeah, you know? and I don't agree that that's important. It may be important, may not be important, but it's it's an element of showmanship. I think 
<laughs> yeah, you know, I don't agree with that. That's a terrible idea. People who make people who make art should not be concerned with being showmen. Well, you, well, I mean, they're art and well, showmen. Showmen. I guess you can pluralize it. They're art. They're showmen. artists and showmen, though. That's what they are. That's what filmmakers are. No, marketers are showmen. No, I think filmmakers people who make are too. movies should not be showmen. I think that's a big part of it. Anyway. Star Trek Into Darkness is the next uh, movie written by Damon Lindelof, which is coming out, and that'll be out uh, next month. I mean, are, are you at all in, excited or intrigued or anything about it? Um, I'm not of those words. I guess curious? It's not like any sort of curiosity about the uh, the thing, really, because I don't really think that it's going to be mind-blowing in any way. Uh, I'm curious about... Uh, the idea of of J.J. Abrams doing a sequel, mm-hmm. um, because uh, I haven't really seen that yet, and there is a thing about well, sequels. not a sequel to his own movie. You're saying Mission Impossible Three is a sequel? Mm-hmm. Really? Okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, okay, I'm saying that sequels are tricky, and. Um, and and I don't think that many people have been able to accomplish them well. And I don't know. I definitely don't think that that J.J. Abrams is, has um, Cameron's Cameron's savant like ability to. I said Cameron, Cameron's savant like ability to make perfect sequels. So I'm curious as to how he handles this. Uh, but I don't anticipate being um, shocked or dismayed, which I guess is sort of the J.J. Abrams thing. It's sort of like. I anticipate it being watchable. Do you think it will be better or worse than Star Trek 09? I can't see it being better. Hmm. Interesting. I also can't really see it being worse. That's sort of the tricky thing. I can't really see it being qualitatively different from the first one. Well, uh, a month after... Star Trek Into Darkness, there's going to be another movie coming out, which Lindelof at least had a hand in writing, although I don't believe he's actually credited uh, for the screenplay, and that's uh, World War Z. That's uh, directed by Mark Forster, the guy who made... Uh, and um, 107 other people who were yeah. forced to come in and fix the movie. It, it was it, it, Mark Forster directed uh, Quantum of Solace, mm-hmm. as well as things like Monster's Ball. And Finding Neverland. So, uh, World War Z is an adaptation of Max Brooks's novel. Uh, did you read uh, World War Z? I'm going to take issue with the term novel. It's an epistolary novel, but it's an epistolary novel where every single um, c- communication, every letter, every 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 snippet of information communicated from one person to another, or you know, a person to a database. Every one of those is like completely removed. There are some like that repeat, like some characters that make the same ones, but it's so disconnected it's so like you know uh constellatory <laughs> that the idea of making a movie out of it it's kind of bizarre if you made a movie out of that that was like faithful to the material it would be uh, an incomprehensible mess documentary okay so so people complain because all i've heard is like people looking at the trailers and stuff and saying like this is nothing like the book so it sounds to me like that's kind of an unfair criticism because it sounds like you have to make it something which is not like the book. You need to. I don't agree. I think okay. that, I think that one of the I think that one of the best things about the idea of an adaptation is exploiting the the differences in the media, mm-hmm. and 
like, I mean, like Fast Food Nation. Yeah. You know, like there's a book and a movie that couldn't be more different. And and in some ways, I think the criticism of the movie is because, is is that is that in that instance, what they did was they made a they took a book that was. Uh, dense and packed with information and tons of stuff, and it was really interesting, and it was really it was a compelling read despite being about food and economics. Uh, and they turned it into a narrative. Yeah, and that's kind of like, well, yeah, obviously, it's sort of the obvious choice to adapt a book into a narrative. <laughs> so the the criticism of of um, of World War Z as like, oh, it's not like the book. I think what they're criticizing is the book is weird. Mm-hmm. Why can't the movie be weird? Okay, all right. Well, have you seen the trailers and everything? I or saw something. Yeah, a while ago. And when what was your reaction as someone who has read the book, comparing it to the source material? Did you like the book? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> a lot of, don't get me started on the next books. Okay. Um, when I saw the trailer, I was like, I was like, I gotta remember that because the book came out long ago. Mm-hmm. And I saw the trailer, like uh, there was an avalanche of zombies, mm-hmm. a tidal wave of zombies, and the zombies were um, were, were forming like ladders, like ants mm-hmm. in uh, in a uh, crystal skull. Really crazy stuff with zombies, and I was like, "That's a weird choice." Yeah, it's not really so much in the book. Yeah, I mean, like I look at the at the trailer. As far as I remember, it might be. Okay, I look at the trailer as as someone who has not read the book, and I think that's a weird choice, but I don't really see the hatred. You know, I I uh, I, I think that it could be a perfectly well, fine. <laughs> I movie. yeah, I agree. I don't see the hatred. I don't see that. I, my like because I mean, like ultimately, if you if you read World War Z and you were like, oh man, I can't wait for them to make this in a movie. You're a weird person because that is not really a story and what's there isn't super awesome. Okay. Yeah, I like I said, I don't think that he's credited, you know, reading about it. It looks like the original screenplay was written by J. Michael Straczynski of Babylon 5. J. Strank. Who um, uh, wrote uh, an adaptation which was, it says, like fairly close to the, uh, to the source material. And then he was rewritten by Matthew Michael Carnahan. What? Who has written, amongst other things, uh, The Kingdom, which is a very good movie. And um, um, <laughs> other stuff that's not so good. <laughs> Smoke and Aces, which I, I think is an okay thing. The Grey, which was not... Did he write The Grey? I think he might have. I, I haven't even know. seen The Grey. I, I don't even know. I, like All I know about The Grey is what you've told me about The Grey. It's not good. Um, but he wrote The Kingdom, and The Kingdom was amazing. The Kingdom was really good. And uh, it was then rewritten by Lindelof. But mm-hmm. if you look at the credits on IMDb, the, the credited writer is Matthew Michael Carnahan. Mm-hmm. So take that as you will. We, we shall see. Um, but He's got then, Karna in his name. Sounds very meaty. Yeah. But there there is a, an, another movie uh, which uh, Lindelof has in the works for next year. Uh, which has has gotten a lot of buzz, and that's a movie called Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. More uh, like Lindel on. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> As opposed to Lindel off. Okay, all right. Because he's really on. Okay. He's got a lot of projects in the works. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's the kind of thing the Variety would do. Gotcha. Because they're terrible people. Gotcha. It's this movie Tomorrowland is. Uh, 
being directed by Brad Bird. I guess he's also co-writing now. Mm-hmm. Um, who, of course, Brad Bird directed Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, and the Iron Giants, and Ghost the Brokes. Incredibles. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, a bunch of Simpsons. Ratatouille and a bunch of Simpsons. And uh, it is w- one of those stories in very typical Lindelof fashion, which people don't really know much about, but there's a ton of speculation about it. It was originally called 1952, as like a, a working title, uh, it's been done in you know absolute secrecy over at Disney. It's a sequel to 1941. A lot of people thought it was going to be a uh, uh, a cover for Star Wars Episode Seven. That's a prequel to 2001. That turned out not to be the case. Um, it, you know now they, they well they've been playing with people. They they released uh, pictures of a box fits into seven continuity. A box, which um, Lindelof was apparently given by an executive over at Disney, which had a bunch of things in it with like old <laughs> pictures, uh, old pictures, toenails, comic doll books, heads, <laughs> co- comic books, uh, film reels. It looks like it, you know a lot of weird things, mm-hmm. and uh, apparently the contents of this box were used as the inspiration. For this movie, there was a, a a Disney historian who was suspecting that it might Fetus be in a jar that that it might be um, a resurrection of a a, a story about the government um, investigating the possibility of UFOs, which is something that um, I guess Disney had been working on back in the in the fifties as a potential uh, movie that. Um, doesn't seem to be the case. the The latest theory here is why are we reading theories? Well, I mean, it's something which is supposed to be like a, a a probable plot synopsis, I guess. You know, it's it's a mystery box. It's a mystery box. We're trying to uncover these clues and and dig, I'm not. Dig and well, I don't think there's any any fruit in this. Well, um, yeah. here, here's here's what the uh, potentially the hypothetically potential things. Yeah, that real will occur synopsis. theoretically in the, um, the the hypothetical movie. This is this is what's supposedly the real synopsis. Supposedly the this. real synopsis, and that, that's the way these guys work. You know. Well, that's why you don't play their game. Well, just listen to this idea and tell me what you think. Okay. A teenage girl, a genius middle-aged man who is kicked out of Tomorrowland, and <laughs> and a prepubescent girl robot attempt to get to this an is unravel. a porn. <laughs> Attempt to get to and unravel what happened to Tomorrowland, which exists in an alternative dimension in order to save Earth. It's going to star George Clooney and Hugh Laurie. You know, Mm -hmm. some some more speculation is that, like, Hugh Laurie is a mad scientist who creates this world in an alternate dimension. And George Clooney wants to go there, but he won't let him. And now he's going back there and he's trying to save the world. Supposed to be like high sci-fi, you know stuff. High is the word. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if it's going to tie into because it's also the requirement. I don't know if it's going to tie into you know Disneyland's Tomorrowland, or, you know the, the Tomorrowland of the Magic Kingdom. Yes. I, I really hope that Space Mountain shows up at some point. I don't Tomorrowland know. Tomorrowland of the magic. Yeah, the magic. Yeah. yeah, but um, it, it's it's bizarre. Are you 
Are you looking forward to it? I mean, oh you, man, you got Brad Pitt involved. I can't wait for those action figures. Well, they've talked about that. <laughs> they've talked about how this is, you know, potentially a big sci-fi, you know, multi-platform. Uh, no, thing. I'm joking. Please don't do that. Okay. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to it just because it's Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof, and it's like, yeah. hey, let's see what those guys. Uh, you know, uh, I, I need to see evidence that any of this is real. Okay. I, I I don't want to play the speculation. Well, the game. pictures the pictures of the box are real. They were posted by Brad Bird. I don't doubt that a box exists. Uh-huh. Here's the thing about me: if you tell me a story where a guy has a box, I'm inclined to believe that story is real because it doesn't involve anything really, but really, really bizarre, or you know, the expenditure of millions of dollars on the story about Hugh Laurie creating a parallel universe and uh, and a little girl robot. Yeah, you know it's uh you know it's small wonder meets a wrinkle in time. Yeah, that's not a good idea. <laughs> well, it looks like after Tomorrowland, Damon Lindelof is doing what you suggested he should do in Cowboys and Aliens, which is return to the world of television. He's got a new show which he's currently developing for HBO, which is based on a, a book by um, Tom Parada mm-hmm. called The Leftovers. Uh, Tom Parada is an author who's written things like Election and Little Children. I've never read any of his books, but I've seen both of those movies, and I liked them both quite a bit. And this one is essentially, (laughs) sounds kind of like uh, Left Behind. It takes place after the rapture happens, but not quite like it's supposed to. It is the story of the people who didn't make the cut (laughs) and a world that will never be the same. Awesome. Lindelof is co-writing the script with Parada, and um, it's been picked up for a pilot. And, you know, uh, Lindelof says, What I love about television is character-based storytelling, and I want to continue to explore a fantastical way of doing it where the characters live in a world that is a little skewed. But he was quick to point out that I won't be the one that would come up with the next Lost. I won't be the one that, that would come up with the next Lost. I don't know what that sentence means. What he's saying is that the next time somebody makes a show like Lost, he's not going to be one that makes that show. Adding that he has no interest in doing more shows with wackadoo mythology. Parada. Maybe the lesson is to not do wackadoo mythology. <laughs> Maybe it's not so much about mythology as it is about the wackadoo. Okay. All right. Well, um, regardless, he's he's actually getting back to TV mm-hmm. on HBO. It's not TV. It's HBO. It's HBO television. Um, so I don't know. It sounds like kind of an, an interesting thing. He's talked about how thematically it's got some uh, ties to Lost and, and whatnot. Um Thematically, it's got some ties to Lost. Does it fit into Lost continuity? Probably. Almost everything does. Yeah. You know, he he said a few... Once upon a time does. So, does it? Okay, cool. So does Chuck. And Flash Forward. Um, Which means the Flash Forward fits into Once Upon a Time continuity, which means that Frankenstein could come on to Chuck and and, and then see his future. And of course... Frankenstein's on the show. Die Hard fits in there, too. Frankenstein could save... Die Hard from the aliens and in do, the future when he meets the aliens. Do they have Slesho in, in Lost? They must, right? Uh, I don't remember. I don't. Remember. I don't know. I you they know what? Must. And if it somebody does, else pointed out Slesho, and they were like Slesho was doing a bunch of stuff, never noticed it. 
Okay. Like, well, I, I noticed Oceanic Airlines every time it comes up. Yeah, assuming assuming that they do have Slusho and Lost, which only makes sense, and that means it also fits into Star Trek continuity and Cloverfield continuity and uh, Super 8 continuity. and um, Right, which Heroes means the characters continuity. on Fringe are aware of, uh, of the future. And, right. and the characters of Star Trek. At some point, they got to just admit that there was a TV show called Star Trek that, is, that bears an eerie and uncanny resemblance to their actual lives. Yeah. Well, regardless, that's what Lindelof's got in the future. Any final thoughts on Damon Lindelof and his movie writing career? I really hope that he has not yet found his groove. Okay. And, uh, and I really hope that he has not lost it and has to get it back at some point. Okay. I really want him to still be trying to find it so that when he finds it, you know, we get movies that are better mm-hmm. than um, Prometheus uh, because I, I don't think Prometheus is his fault. And I don't think Cowboys and Aliens is a problem. Um, I think that both of those are him doing his job, yeah, which is, um, is, is frustratingly marginal when you're getting started as a screenwriter. Yeah. And uh, so I feel bad for us. Yeah. And I hope that he's able to do some stuff that will actually work. And I actually think that his creativity that he, that he showed and he exemplified on Lost would actually benefit greatly from somebody with discipline, uh, from a, a, a very disciplined director. And I would have thought, swear to God, I thought that was Ridley Scott. Mm-hmm. That turned out to not be the case. Maybe Brad Bird? Brad Bird, I think, is probably a much better choice. Yeah. But I, I just don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen enough from Brad Bird outside of The Simpsons, and I, I think he's good at a lot of things. I don't know about about honing a story. I think that he, I think that Brad Bird might have the exact same problem Lindelof has, where he needs somebody else to be the disciplined one to rein in. Oh, Incredibles, Ratatouille, those were his originals. Those are, but that's Pixar. That's where they've got Iron ten thousand people like saying, hmm, uh, "That seems a little dumb." Iron Giant. I don't know about Iron Giant. Iron Giant is actually kind of like Spartan. Hmm. Like it feels sort of like uh, like like engineered out of the the components that they had available. Well, I still think it works pretty well. I don't know. No, I'm not saying that it doesn't. <clears throat> I'm saying that that it's you know it has the Jaws effect where where the the limitations inform the quality of the piece. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, you know, even though Lindelof's movie track record is you know I would say fifty fifty with Cowboys and Aliens and Prometheus, I am you know very much looking forward to his, him teaming up with. Uh, Kurtzman and Orsi on on Into Darkness, and and I I think that Tomorrowland will be a really interesting uh, look at at what a Lindelof movie is like under normal circumstances, without any sort of, you know, script doctoring or tampering or anything, collaboration sort of issues. You know, I think this is where we'll get to see, you know, what a Lindelof movie is really like. I don't think so. I think that as long as he's going to be dealing with somebody else directing it, he's going to have problems. Well, I mean, that could be... That's why I I think he belongs in TV. That could be, you know, and we'll see what The Leftovers is like as well. So, I guess that's pretty much it for today. As always, you can find us on our other show at CommentaryTrackStars.com You can also uh, find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars or email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com You can also visit the Trek FM forums and um, give us feedback there. We do appreciate your feedback. Go to iTunes or something. Apparently that's a big deal. Go to iTunes and leave a review. Right now we only have one review, and it's from someone who's kind of our boss, so 
I don't think it really counts. So that that's it for Damon Lindelof. That wraps up our, our series, our brief series on him. We will be back next week with an even briefer series on Brandon Braga. 